Hello and welcome to Unknown. I'm Maureen Ellsbury and it's likely it's been a while since you've heard from me and that's because I've recently gone on a little adventure to Spain. I'll be here for three months so I've been very busy actually learning Spanish because that's important to do when you move to a country that speaks a different language. I've been moving out of a house, packing up my stuff, uh, working, and also trying to investigate a lot of potential interesting Spanish paranormal and UFO hotspots so I can bring some good content to you through if you've been listening to Unknown or follow us on Facebook, a new rendition of Spacing Out. If you don't know Spacing Out... Uh, Go look for it on YouTube. It is Jason McClellan and I's former little friend, Baby, a show we created that ran for about three years, 110 episodes, uh, where we basically did a lot of UFO news and investigations and interviewed a lot of really interesting people from everyone from uh, people involved in Project Blue Book to other government officials, Tom DeLong, who we both ended up working for after interviewing him on Spacing Out, and a ton of other researchers and investigators. So there's tons of great information that's still relevant in those. Um, it was a very special project to us. We are we finally got the rights to bring it back because, of course, we were working for Open Minds at the time. And so the name, even though you know it was our little baby, did not belong to us, but we finally got the rights back. And we're excited to do something with it. It's going to be a little different because Jason and I currently, well, at least for the next three months, are living on different continents, uh, definitely different countries. Normally, it'll just be different states. So uh, we're not really sure what the show is going to look like. And there'll probably be some time that it takes us to adjust to the right format. However, we're really excited to be bringing something back for you guys that will hopefully be more frequent content. Uh, Obviously, life gets in the way and, and it's been very hard for us to be on very frequent schedules with each other with time difference and everything else. Enough of my complaining. There is one thing you should know about this episode of Unknown. And okay, well, this is complaining, so sorry. I currently am still figuring out how to get Wi-Fi in my apartment, how to actually sleep, considering I live over a a nightclub, apparently, which it was news uh, on the beach, though, so that's good. And just to figure out how to get this online for you. This should have been about a week ago. So my apologies to my guest because tonight's kind of a a big deal. If this actually airs tonight, you should know that if it doesn't, it's because my Wi-Fi mission of walking down the streets of Spain trying to find some free Wi-Fi has failed miserably. But if it succeeds tonight, September 8th, is the premiere of my guest's new show on the History Channel, The Dark Files. 
and it's basically an investigation into the Montauk Project. If you do not know what the Montauk Project is, on a very surface level, it's the inspiration behind the hit series Stranger Things. Obviously, they took a lot of liberties. However, it's clear that they were influenced by my guest, Christopher Garitano, who is the director, writer, and everything else in between of the Montauk Chronicles, which is a really amazing documentary covering the people behind this alleged conspiracy. Christopher has dedicated over a decade of his life to this and has come up with a lot of interesting information as well as uncovering a lot of things that make it more plausible. Now, if you don't know what the Montauk Project is, I really cannot give you a good sort of description of this because it is so complex, so off the wall, that there's no easy way to sum it up, which is why I encourage you to watch Christopher's documentary. However, here's a brief paragraph to give you a little tip of the iceberg of all the weird shit that's involved in this conspiracy. So it's alleged to be a government operation that that has some interesting ties to the Philadelphia experiment. And allegedly the government was kidnapping runaway boys, miscreants, uh, to do experiments involving time travel, aliens, monsters, torture, and psychological warfare. I mean, we were allegedly basically creating a set of super soldiers that were unfeeling and actual, basically, monsters. Dealing a lot with how the conscious mind can transform things. Just all sorts of bizarre, weird stuff of nightmares, I guess you could say. So, allegedly all this occurred at a secret underground base at Camp Hero or the Montauk Air Force Base on Long Island, New York. So. There's a whole bunch of weird stuff. Basically, this sort of came to the limelight when this guy Preston Nichols wrote a book about it and then more people started coming forward and became involved in the storyline of this grand conspiracy, which even if only parts of it, like the smallest parts of it are true, are still terrifying, concerning, and mind-blowing. Now, I will say... If you start getting into investigating the Montauk Project, or if you already have, take everything with a grain of salt. Have an open mind, but not too open because there is a lot of stuff involved in this, and Christopher will be the first to tell you this. Some of it's just straight up batshit crazy. But some of it may be rooted in truth. So listen to Christopher, watch his documentary, and absolutely tune into the dark files because I happen to know that some very interesting things happened during the filming and investigation of this show that they uncovered some real evidence to suggest that at least, at least a few segments of this great crazy story may be true. So without further ado, here's my interview with Christopher Garitano. So Christopher, thanks so much for joining me. Um, you've got a lot of exciting projects coming up, but um, your latest 
is going to be a show on the History Channel called The Dark Files, which spawns from your intensive uh, experience over the last, what is it, 10 years or so? Yes. Yes, um, investigating the Montauk conspiracy. Um, I think probably a lot of people were completely in the dark about this conspiracy, I'd say. I, I don't think I was that aware of it until I first met you uh, six or seven years ago. But um, people are starting to get interested in, in it about this because your documentary got a lot of um, play around different film festivals as well as now, of course, the show that everyone's seen on Netflix, Stranger Things, uh, once it came to light that this was kind of maybe inspired by that show, and I think we could both agree, your documentary, uh, that, that a lot, are you seeing a lot of people interested in this topic now? Yeah, well, here's the thing, like, I didn't know much about it when it was presented to me. I was about to start my uh, cryptozoology documentary, and... You know, I had very little money at the time and in terms of traveling and the special effects that would have required to uh, create all the creatures. So a friend of mine at the time suggested, well, you live in New York and not too far away from the Camp Hero Air Force Station. Why don't you make your new documentary about the Montauk Project? And I, I was aware of it, but I wasn't very interested because, I don't, you know, the book didn't impress me. I, I really didn't think there was much to it. You only had these, you know, two or three guys telling this story for a number of years, and I just, I wasn't buying it. But what I thought would be interesting would be a character study, and that's mainly what my movie is, because I thought it would be kind of cool to, let's start with visiting these these elderly men like Alfred Bielek and Preston Nichols in their, their homes, and just let's see what happens. Let's ask them questions. Let's... Uh, you know, not even put them on the hot seat. Just let them tell me a story. Tell me the story. Tell me your life story. So I, I thought as a profile, that would be a great start. So that's that's where it all began for me. And then it, over the years, I started learning about things like MKUltra and the Holmesburg prison experiments and things like that have, that have been proven to be true. So my focus kind of shifted from the alien stuff and the paranormal stuff, even though I did regard that heavily in my doc. Uh, to the boys program where they claim between 1971 and 83 that there were children being kidnapped, kids, runaway kids off the streets of New York and then being used as human subjects in these experiments. And that, that became my focus and to this moment is my focus. Yeah. And, and so generally as an overview, um, so I mean, that's good to point out is you lived on Long Island and, and weren't aware of this as a, as a child growing up, which is probably a good thing. Um, that this is this huge government conspiracy that, um, that what was alleged when you first kind of dug into this that was occurring on uh, the Camp Pero Air Force Base? When I first got into it, and if you, if you take a look at that very first book by Preston Nichols, they didn't really talk about kids being kidnapped and used in these brutal experiments. The focus was... Uh, on a secret covert experiment like the one we know about, except it was mainly on um, reverse engineering of extraterrestrial technologies used as time travel, interstellar travel, interdimensional travel, and then something called the Montauk Chair, which would manifest 
thought and to physical reality. So Nichols claimed that if uh, they had a powerful enough psychic who could focus on an image enough, clear his mind and focus on an image like a ball or a glass or something like that, it would manifest physically into reality. And this is what these gentlemen say, well, what, when they realized this was a big mind control project, and that was the term being used, that they eventually used this Montauk chair device to crash the project by creating a monster. And this is where uh, the Stranger Things uh, TV show kind of, you know, cherry picked from the story and, and used these ideas. And that's cool. I thought it was really neat that they did that. The original title of Stranger Things was Montauk. But um, yeah, I mean, that's that's basically the story. And it, it was so reminiscent of the Outer Limits. You know, I was, I'm a huge sci-fi fan growing up, sci-fi fantasy and horror. And so I knew where he was getting a lot of this from. And I, I questioned Preston Nichols about it. I said, well, this is Forbidden Planet. You know, the old movie Forbidden Planet, the monster from the Yet. He's like, yes. And that's exactly what we thought of when we created the monster. And I'm like, okay, great. <laughs> so I, I just didn't, I wasn't buying it. But the, the concept of time travel, the concept of uh, that, that we've been in contact with extraterrestrials and that we've, you know, we've received some of their technology and reverse engineered it or used it for our benefit. I mean, these things are out there and there are much more credible people telling that tale. So I stuck with that stuff, too. And that's what's so bizarre about this is that, you know, you like you don't I never wanted to believe these guys. I just felt like so much was fabricated. But at the same time, you know, if you if you reference other stories by more credible people, let's say, like by Gordon Cooper or um, uh, Edgar Mitchell and stuff like that. You know, why are these guys telling a very similar tale? Um, so if you break this down into different subject matter, Montauk seems to have everything happening at that base. Uh, so it was very, it was difficult to sift through. It was difficult to find more people. You know, the difference between 1992 uh, and let's say when I started in 06 and now is that there is like a deluge of people that claim they were part of the Montauk project that didn't exist in 06 when I started. So these people started coming out of the woodwork as I was working on the film, after I was promoting it. And, uh, you know, I, to this day, I keep getting emails from people claiming they were part of it. So I'm not exactly sure what to make of it. But on the dark files, um, you know, making the dark files, we actually found evidence. We found, I think, the best evidence anyone, first of all, the best evidence anyone ever found. And um, with the resources that we had, you know, no one ever attempted to do what we did. So I, I, you know, not only the evidence, but the situation that you'll see unfold on the show, you know, who was trying to stop us. You know, this, none of this was staged. This was all, and that's why I'm so happy with the show is that it was real. Like it wasn't scripted, you know, the normal stuff, getting in and out of the car and in and out of the building a few times for camera. But outside of that, it was exactly how it happened. So what you'll see is, you know, I mean, regardless of editing, that's it's how it happened. Right. So you you hint at uh, discovering a lot of crazy evidence. Um, what what sort of tidbit can you give a viewer to uh, about what sort of unusual things they can expect to find out by watching sure. the show? Okay. So we had I had resources. Now that I'm you know, grouped with a network and a and a, and a pretty a well-known production company, uh, they had resources that I didn't have. So, I, you know, it was sensible for me to make a, uh, a character study out of Montauk Chronicles. 
and that's what I focused on. But this was an investigation. <clears throat> so the resources that we had, there was a company called GeoView out of Florida, geological survey group that um, had equipment that could look into the ground, that could test soil, that could do things that I just couldn't, I simply could not afford to arrange. And it was a great resistance when we were there. Um, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers did everything in their power to kind of get in our way. And this is like in the middle of winter. They hadn't been there for 15 years to test as they were. And they just so happened to be there on the same exact day that we were there. Now, this is History Channel. You know, History Channel is behind this the whole time. So they had difficulties getting permits. Permits in the sense that we had permits to go to the base but not permits to clear certain areas. Like we weren't allowed to go beyond that main fence that surrounds the perimeter of the Sage Radar Tower, that famous tower that is at the center of this whole story. Uh, so GeoView had equipment, uh, electronic resistivity imagery uh, that was used. And remember the public word is there are no structures. There is no base under the ground. There's nothing there. And what we found is the polar opposite of what the public record says isn't there. And I don't, you know, I don't want to give everything away, mm. but that's, that's enough information to realize that we did find something, and that wasn't the only area. We also found archived information. Now, there were places where, um, that were dubbed the acid houses, where these alleged experiments happened where the boys were kidnapped and brought to these houses where they were given enormous amounts of drugs and um, experimented on, you know, for purposes of mind control. So the area that the acid houses once stood is now a picnic area. But there's a gentleman named Brian Minnick who had a wealth of information that we kind of stumbled upon interviewing him. He just kind of broke this stuff out in the middle of the interview that he had photos and video amongst a million other things that you'll see, but of the acid houses when they, were, when they stood, when he was there as a younger man. And um, each room inside these, these structures were deliberately painted uh, with these very elaborate patterns. Every single room had a very stark and elaborate pattern, you know, for the purposes of this type of drug testing that, again, you know, they said wasn't, there's no way it happened there, it didn't happen there. Uh, so uh, I have two co-hosts. Uh, one is Steve Volk from the Washington Post, who wrote a great book called Fringology. The other one is Barry Eisler, an author and ex-CIA. So Steve got in contact with um, a lot of people who worked with Timothy Leary, some of which who felt that maybe this was insignificant, but a couple of them felt that the, the painting on the walls were, was quite insignificant, including Barry Eisler, my um, co-host who was in the CIA, felt that this was just really odd. Now, these houses don't exist anymore, but we have like the last, we have the only remaining evidence of it, which was fantastic to stumble upon. And then there was a third thing that's quite questionable and I think uh, deserves further investigation that GeoView found that I won't tell you about right now because I'll save for the show. Okay. <laughs> uh, so I, I got to say, there's obviously, in Montauk Chronicles, you had sort of your three to four main players um, that sort of are credited with the conspiracy coming to light and Preston Nichols, um, Stuart Swordlow, and uh, Al Bialik. Um, 
watching your documentary with him, I give you credit because I think, you know, coming from an investigator researcher perspective and journalist, um, we come a lot uh, across a lot of crazy stories that are so hard to digest and believe that it's easy to brush stuff off. But you are the kind of interviewer who, you know, makes people feel comfortable and let them tell their story and, you know, let the audience be objective. Because um, I can tell you personally, there are parts of all these stories, of course, that are so far-fetched that it's so hard to imagine. And I'm wondering if you kind of are of the opinion that, that what happens a lot in times of, of even UFO witnesses or people in conspiracies, that maybe they remember pieces of the story. And again, maybe this is with the, the sci-fi you were saying, parts of that, that they inject a lot of, of false claims, but that they're believing they are true. But the story becomes so expansive because they can't tell reality from, from truth anymore. Um, so what's your opinion on that kind of aspect? Okay, well, it varies with each subject. So if we're talking about um, Preston Nichols, I have had a lot of time to think about this and, and talk to him. And so I believe that he has some personal knowledge of Camp Hero. Now, I'm not saying he was part of a program. I'm not... One way or another, he had something. He, may, he maybe he was called in to fix something. Maybe he was, you know, there because they did appoint people. Maybe he really did work at Brookhaven Labs. We haven't been able to find anything that proves that, you know. And, and we've done some true investigative work, so it's it's like you can't really, um, you know, you can't prove his story right now. But I've I've spent time around him, and you know, I've been around a lot of different types of people in my life. And uh, I know when someone's, I have a pretty good lie detector built in. So, yeah, I feel like he's elaborated on stuff. You know, this, this, is, this is a really organic thing. So, like, Preston could have worked there. He could have had an odd experience. And then so he comes across this kind of sleazy publisher. And uh, the publisher is just like, well, we need to embellish on some things. We need to omit some things. You know, it's over a bottle of wine. You know, oh, this would be great. At least it'll get your story out there, that kind of stuff. And I think that thing happens a lot. That that particular type of thing happens. If we're talking about Stuart Swerdlow, I think he's somebody that came later, that jumped on this bandwagon and, you know, tore right into it. I don't believe he's telling the truth. And that's my opinion after all these years. And I have a lot of reasons to believe that. Um, when it comes to Alfred Bielek, uh, Alfred Bielek was uh, an intelligent man. I spent two afternoons with him. Uh, but, man, he told me, Everything from vampires being real to, uh, you know, indigo children visiting him every day to, you know, black eyed children knocking on his door. I mean, like every paranormal possibility happened to both Nichols and Bielek. So I don't know where the embellishment started or what, but I do know that this story existed before these guys were out in the public telling this tale. Um, and... We, we learned that by interviewing people who lived on the base in the 70s. So this is a different perspective. And they were hearing about experiments, and not just you know, drug experiments, but time travel experiments. They were hearing rumblings of these things in the 70s. People that actually lived there that we confirmed lived on the base. So 
you know, I'm not sure where this was incorporated into this little book. And then, but it seems like it's bookended by more credible people because there are more credible people coming out now with less fantastic stories. I, I think there's a, obviously a reason to believe in extraterrestrial, many reasons to believe in extraterrestrial intelligence and uh, influence and you know we can get into that for you know many months and keep talking about it and that's fine but this particular tale i think at its core really does exist um at its core and that's a an illegal um organization of kidnappings and murders and being used for these mind control experiments and that's that's my estimation after all of this and the alien stuff and the time travel stuff and all of that could very well be possible in the same facility. But to this moment, I haven't found any evidence of that. What I have found evidence of and what we found evidence of was a program, a secret program, most likely a, a mind control program tantamount to um, uh, Holmesburg Prison or even MK Ultra. Mm -hmm. And so uh, the belief is that they were... Um, trying to train mind control and train these, these kids to be uh, sort of weapons, mindless soldiers, correct? Yes, uh, and that can be confirmed. Let's say, okay, so if you research Alan Hornblum, who we did speak to for the program, we spoke to many people, uh, we went to Holmesburg Prison, we spoke to victims of those experiments. And so what they were doing, much like all of these weird experiments throughout history is that they would lead people under false pretenses um, into a situation. In Holmesburg Prison, they would promise them some money to test cosmetic stuff like bubble bath or lotion or whatever. But these things were burning people's skin off, like off, literally melting off. That's not what they said it was, number one. And then number two, there were, Alan Hornbloom proved that there were mind control experiments there with heavy doses of drugs on the same prisoners. Um, and these are volunteers, quote unquote, but that were being used to develop Manchurian candidate soldiers. This is the same term. Okay. Like the Frankenheimer film. It's the same term that was used by Preston Nichols when he was describing the experiments at Camp Hero. Um, but this, this is, fact, if you look up Holmesburg Prison, read any of the books by Alan Hornblum regarding that situation, or just look up the data, you, this, is, this is fact. You know, the U.S. government was doing this. They were developing these, these soldiers for, I guess, purposes of assassination in other countries, or even this one, who knows. But um, that's some freaky stuff. And, uh, you know, I mean, we can't just forget this stuff. And I don't think it just ended there, and it certainly didn't start there. And that's what we keep finding out. So, I mean, the reason why I stick with this and I you know, haven't fully adjusted over to a much more grounding subject like my Bigfoot film uh, is that I feel like if there were uh, children used in these experiments and there were these secret experiments occurring that, you know, anybody that perished in that, they don't have a voice and they don't have anybody truly uh, trying to justify this thing because a lot of people are just focused on the, the fantastic elements like the aliens and the time travel and stuff like that. And that is, that is great and all, but you know, when murder and kidnapping is involved, I think it's a, a different thing. Right. A lot closer to home. And, oh, yeah. 
And this is this is something that that wasn't just occurring at the Montauk area. There's alleged to have happened all over the country, right? Well, according to Al Bielik, but again, if you pay attention to a lot of these programs that we were able to prove, and there are a few of them, uh, yeah, I mean, it makes sense. And they were, uh, you know, these groups were tapping into orphanages and prisons and mental institutions, uh, you know, easy pickings, human, human subjects, you know, for the taking. So it makes sense that runaway kids in the 1970s, and they were, you know, in astronomical numbers, believe it or not, uh, would be easy human subjects, human targets to, to be absorbed into this program. And so it doesn't help when you have guys like Swerdlow out there talking about praying mantis people and, you know, uh, the wars between the tarantula people and the scorpion people, you know, like all this stuff that he's, he's teaching people in his little group uh, is not healthy. Um, especially when there are, you know, true crimes involved in this. Absolutely, and, and uh, Swordlow is the one I most get the heebie-jeebies from of, I don't believe this guy. Like, there's some sort of, I don't know, like sleazy vibe I get. So th- that was... You and everyone else yeah, seems like the same vibe. Uh, yeah, I don't buy them, yeah. But, and I think you, you touched on a good point, and I do want to briefly touch on your, your Bigfoot film in a minute. But you have spent over 10 years on this film and you're going into these very troubling, um, very upsetting issues. And how does that affect you personally? Like, how do you stay uh, focused and objective and not get sucked so far down in the rabbit hole there's no return? Well, I feel like I almost did, only because I got, um, and this is really personal, but I, I was... I was personally involved with someone I met through these circles, and I had to inherit um, some of the things that, uh, some of the problems that they had surrounding them. And I did that out of care and love, of course. So, um, you know, it, it, it and, and not just that, but being immersed in, because I have a very vivid imagination, so, and I always have, so I have to sit and think about these things and the visualize these things so the idea of you know i don't get any thrill whatsoever out of children being beaten and murdered so i but i have to think about this stuff when i'm writing it or when i'm planning a shot or directing it or promoting it even you know because i do all this stuff myself so uh, it's hard it's very difficult it's weighed down on me quite a few times um i think you either build strength uh, dealing with stuff like this, or, you know, you go crazy, or you don't care. And um, I would say I, I definitely got stronger over time. But, you know, there's also people you have to watch out for, because I, you know, even if they're not uh, these super soldiers or super psychics or whatever, and a lot of them are not, uh, they still believe they are. And that's where it gets dangerous for me, because, I mean, you know, I had a guy in Hong Kong come up to me, I was promoting Montauk out there at a film market. And he wanted to talk to me. He went to my translator when I wasn't at the table and insisted that he come talk to me. So I, I'm waiting for him. And he shows up. Ultimately, the conversation gears over to, you know, if you die for this cause, you'll be a hero for all time. And I'm like, uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, hey, man, I'm a filmmaker. You know, so... <laughs> 
I'm not dying for this cause. No, you know. Uh, so, and I don't want people to think that way either. That's crazy. No. So. Yeah. That is that is frightening. Oh, wh what sort of got you into this whole conspiracy paranormal? Um, interest in the first place? Was this something of a personal experience or just something you were fascinated by? Oh, I, I mean, I this was my first uh, fascination as a kid. So, I mean, you know, watching reruns of In Search Of as a kid and um, staying at the library for hours a day and raiding there and you going to book fairs. And I still have every book I collected since I was a kid here um, on the paranormal, on the uh, uh, cryptozoological subjects and UFO abductions. So this has always been my interest. Uh, so it's nothing new for me. I did have a couple of experiences that I, I can't really explain what the source was. And uh, it's something I've always been interested in. So naturally, I'm, I'm making movies on the subject. Montauk is a different thing. It's almost like everything I've ever loved, uh, you know, it's like the devil's wearing a mask Okay, and the mask is everything I've ever loved. But underneath that mask is this really sinister, decrepit, horrible thing. Because the Montauk Project, uh, the story behind that, you cannot get the same thrill. It's impossible unless you're a really twisted person. You can't get the same thrill uh, that I do exhilaration when I'm, you know, out in the field, you know, with a few Bigfoot, so-called Bigfoot hunters or. Uh, just studying the stuff in general, reading books, um, you know, even making my work like it, that's, that's exhilarating. It's positive. I get a, you know, it's, it's replenishing. I love it. It's inspiring. Montauk is a, is a drain uh, because I take the idea of these kids being kidnapped and murdered seriously. There's many reasons, too. And the people involved, some of them are quite sinister people. I mean, um, you know, not to keep talking about him, but, you know, he's got quite an operation going on. I've, I've witnessed and I've I've. Again, I've been polite over the years because it's my job as a filmmaker and a documentarian to not uh, tear into people. I'm not a journalist, you know, so I, I I'm there to observe and be polite. And why shouldn't I? But I've witnessed a lot of things that are all kinds of wrong. And so, you know, I question sometimes, is it my job to expose that stuff or is it just to move on and continue, you know, uh, making movies and I'm going to do uh, maybe both. So, um, yeah, it's just Montauk is so different than, than any of other paranormal subject in my opinion. Right. I would agree with you. It's a little bag of everything. I um, recently spoke at Denver Comic-Con and on real life X-Files and we, we touched on Montauk a bit and apparently I terrified many small children in the audience. <laughs> Uh, telling these stories because uh, it is talking about all these kids being uh, kidnapped and having experiments performed on them and and kind of this way of there's nothing they could do about it. Um, I think it is terrifying and I for one am super excited to watch your program to see more of the investigative side of it after having the background from the documentary um, and and I understand your frustration with the the permit situation and um, I'm sure the park claims that they don't want structures damaged or, or some sort of surface level reason why the permits oh, yeah. were being denied. <laughs> I've experienced that myself. 
Um, which always makes you wonder, uh, why are all these underground bases being bought by parks now? Yeah. But yeah, it certainly does. Um, so let's talk about this Bigfoot film because I am curious what's happening with that. Okay, so that is something I've wanted to make my entire life. I have such a connection to it. And, um, you know, I've read so many incredible stories. Uh, and, and I think the subject of the North American Sasquatch or the Yeti or anything else in relation to that has only, uh, has only been portrayed well in books and not in really any television at all. There was one decent documentary that I saw called Bigfoot's Reflection. It was made in recent years. It was a nice little profile, like slice of life profile about what currently some of these guys are doing. But outside of that, I've seen so many programs on it and movies are just pure schlock. So I just, I'd like to, you know, and what I've been making and what I've been designing is kind of an anthology of the best stories, including everything from the Fred Beck story at um, Ape Canyon to uh, the Roosevelt story to the Patterson-Gimlin experience, like all that stuff, even though it's been done to death in certain respects, I, in the way I plan to portray this stuff amongst a million other things in the movie, um, has never been seen before and has never been seen in this tonality or this kind of heavy drama or this kind of you know, suspenseful cinema that I have planned. So I was traveling all over and I was shooting a lot of it. And um, obviously, you know, uh, Dark Files was a full-time job over the past year and a half. So I kind of put it on pause so I could make that. And um, it's gotten me into a better situation. It's really a huge project. And I'm talking to several people now who were excited about me making the thing and that might um, help a little with it, which I feel like the story that I wrote in my script really deserves it. And um, I think it would be a really neat perspective. My perspective on the whole thing is a little slightly different. I read Jeffrey Meldrum's book and I respect him a lot. I spoke to him and all, but I think uh, his maybe his fear of um, uh, professional outcasting or something like that uh, may have taken that that mystery away from it because it's the he attended um patterson's lectures and stuff when he was a kid and that's it's the mystery that draws us all into this initially i think it's a big mistake to extract that and so a lot of programming today takes that out almost makes it like a you know like a sporting event or something like a lot of the ghost hunter shows and stuff like that it seems like you know i'm watching football and it, it, that's not what this is. You know, like it's, it's the mystery that draws us into this stuff. So I think the greatest programs and the greatest books were very informative, but they also kept it kind of spooky at the same time. And that's where all of this originates anyhow. So uh, it'll, my movie will have a lot of that. But in regard to Jeffrey Meldrum, just going back for a second, he sees this as more of like a mountain gorilla thing you know, like Diane Fossey type situation. And I don't. I think that um, if these things do exist and we have pl plenty of uh, credible witnesses over the years that uh, know the difference between a bear and a deer and something that's quite different, is that I think maybe these things were um, are very conscious of what they are. They're conscious of what we are. 
it, it might explain the lack of breeding populations. Like if these were just animals, we would definitely have a specimen by now. So I think these are somewhere between man and an animal or ancient man. And the, and the fact that they are lesser in number and purposefully lesser in number is how they stay so elusive. And maybe they've seen over the years how this country was forged and from a distance, the war, the violence, genocide, all that stuff. So that's kind of the perspective I have in this movie called Bigfoot is that we're always looking out from that perspective, from the forest, seeing everything from the Civil War to the Revolutionary War to all these things through the trees at, at times. And, and, and as we go through the timeline, we're telling one of these kind of major stories. And I've talked to people about maybe making it a miniseries, you know, in terms of networks and stuff. So as long as I have full control over it, which would be, I think, impossible for, you know, for a TV project, uh, then I would do it. But otherwise, I think independently I can make maybe a three-hour movie that uh, would be wonderful that I really have in my heart and imagination. So hopefully that made some sense. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a very interesting perspective. And again, like you said, one that really hasn't been taken. And uh, I've written a lot about Meldrum and, and other people and their theories on, um, you know, why we don't have Bigfoot bones and um, how they're, they're possibly melting into the earth or there's the aspects of people that believe they're interdimensional beings. And that's why they disappear without, you know, before they can take a photo and, and things like that. There, I think there's a lot of potential behind um, looking into this other aspect. I, I personally live in the Pacific Northwest right now, and you can't go two feet without seeing something Bigfoot themed. It's uh, Sasquatch is a big part of the Pacific Northwest history and lore and um, goes back into native legends. And I think it's, uh, it's just a fascinating topic. So whenever your project finally gets the time you want to invest in it, uh, looking forward to seeing that. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm making, um, okay, so uh, here's my project lineup at the moment. So Dark Files uh, is, is, word on the street is going to be a series, so I'll be working on that. But I'm working on an independent film right now regarding the uh, witchcraft. And it's a thrill, it's like a, it's a, something I wrote, and I really love it. And it's a smaller film, and I'm going to get that finished this year. And then um, I have something going on with another big network, uh, which is a fictionalized account of um, some of the things I've been investigating. Uh, but outside of that, I think I could start shooting Bigfoot maybe next spring or next summer. And um, really, you know, I shot a lot of stuff for it already, but really shooting the bulk of what I wrote. And, um, you know, I'm patient. You know, you learn to be patient as a movie maker. It's like it's, if you're not patient, you're dead. So I have to be very patient because I care so much about this project. It's going to be such a, a huge thing that, um, you know, I really want it to be perfect. You know, I want it to be right. And uh, I'm, I'm now finally getting into that situation. So the reason why I want to do all this other stuff first is it's just going to make it a much better movie and, a, and a, ha let me have more control and over more resources to actually make the film that I want to make. So, Absolutely. I think that's worth it. Uh, so... September 8th is the tentative release date for uh, The Dark Files on History Channel. Uh, and if they haven't seen your movie, Montauk Chronicles, where can they go find the information on that? 
Uh, they can go to MontauKronicles.com and they can check out all the info on my website or they can order the film on Amazon or they can uh, order the download or rent it on VHX.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Christopher. There's so many exciting projects coming out. I'm looking forward to them all. And I will separately want to talk to you about this witchcraft movie, too. That sounds super cool. Excellent. Thank you so much. All right. Take care. Thanks, Marvin. Okay. Don't forget to watch the show. Make sure you watch all the episodes because ratings count. And if you want to have further funds from a production company to actually be able to uncover little bits and pieces like what is being uncovered with this great equipment that they're able to use in the the filming of this show, it requires numbers. I'd like to thank Christopher for coming on and apologize to him both for the delay of this episode and for my foggy head during the interview. Uh, it was it was quite right before I moved, basically. Let's put it that way. Uh, so I wasn't all all there. But I think it's it's very exciting that people are taking more interest in the show because at the very least there's there's strange stuff going on that that we should know about. Maybe we don't want to, but uh, you know maybe we can kind of figure out the why and the how and figure out what is truth and what is fiction. And I think that that's the goal that we always face is is trying to find the truth. I guess I'll leave you at sometimes the truth is stranger than fiction. And sometimes, quote unquote, the truth is fiction. Adios from España. Unknown is a Rogue Planet production. For more episodes and other related content, visit RoguePlanet.tv.